You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike and Dovel here joined in studio with uh, Jason Stuber, except we're actually not in studio. We are live from uh, uh, Small Business Saturday, so we're live from my small business, uh, RE Solutions in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, doing the show here, uh, celebrating a little bit of small, small Business Saturday and everything it's got to offer. Of course, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Did you have a good Thanksgiving, Jason? I did. Ate too much, as always, but that's what uh, makes it great. Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good day. You know, Normally, uh, we go to the track every year, as you know, and um, family's been doing that since the mid-60s, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, you got to see the construction that's going on down at Churchill Downs. Really exciting stuff. I mean, they're putting stuff for, like a, I guess, like a concert venue, a stage, and they're building that mansion. And In the infield or, or? No, outside, just outside the grandstand. Okay. Uh, like behind where the, where the Derby Museum is. All right. And uh, it, it made me think, and I know it's starting to come back on the table again, what kind of destination would Louisville be for like bachelor parties and bachelorette parties or just guy and girl getaway weekends. If we had a night racing on one night and the casino right next door, I mean, or you had, you know, night racing gets done at 11, 11.30, which has been great for Church Downs. And what would you say, like 20% of that crowd would go from night racing to the casino? Sure. I mean, 20% of that crowd would be at the casino every all, all the time except when the – Track was open. We would become almost so like the, uh, like the the destination weekend guys night out, girls night out, the whole of the South. I mean, we would be no. the attraction of the South. I don't know Tupelo. You know, you got you got some nice places in Tupelo. You're that, telling me we're not going to compete with Tupelo, Mississippi? Well, I've never been, but I, I hear you know they've they've got some. Uh, it, it's fun down there. Oh, I'm sure it is. And they, but they're all casino town. I mean, here you have options. I mean, you've got casinos. You go Bourbon Trail and during the day. You go downtown to Fourth Street. You could. I mean, there's so much that you could do that the, the casino could tie everything together. I'm just kind of hoping that. Well, they I like your off. energy and your idea. You know, you'd have to get the word out to people. Um, which would be, which would be the challenge because you know the words out about Tupelo, the words out about Nashville and places like that. So uh, I like the potential you're talking about. That's I tell you, that's an idea. You and I have both been in night raising. We yep. both love it. Yep. And I just think that the uh, the potential there of having just this ultimate getaway weekend to hang out with your buddies uh, would be there if they could ever pull it off. And hopefully they do. I mean, it's kind of silly. I'm mean, everywhere in Louisville. Or everywhere in Kentucky is basically less than an hour drive to a casino anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you there's so Keep many that money in state. Exactly. I mean, we bring more out of state it. money in state without a doubt. You know, and that just uh, would I think it would add a lot. And you know, if you don't want to participate, don't participate. You know. So, uh, but anyway, I digress. We had a great day of uh, college sports yesterday, and especially you know being the college basketball junkies that we are, you had Duke lose and you had Kansas lose. Who did Kansas well, lose to? I didn't. Kansas, uh, Kansas got beat. I'm, I'm blanking now. They got beat by four. Hold on, I got to look it up. Of course, I say this and Nova, you know, Nova, Nova. That's right, Villanova. And actually, that was kind of uh, ironic because Kansas has you know got a whole lot of size down low. Mm-hmm. Villanova is a typical Villanova team where they start three guards. And they got a little bit more size than they usually do, but I thought that Kansas's guards last night were really exposed. 
And uh, it, it could be an interesting thing to watch because they basically have, you know, they've got a lot of really good frontcourt players. Wiggins, if he's playing the three, he's really kind of more of a four or a three-four mix. They're, they're deep. They got Perry Ellis, Joel Embiid. I mean, they've got a lot of talent at that f- in the front court. Mm-hmm. But it looks like they're struggling a little bit to get it going in the back court. Mm-hmm. And, and then Duke's the opposite. Duke's got the great guards. Uh, Duke's got the long athletic play. But they're starting. I mean, Jabari Parker's been jumping center. Yeah. So they don't have the size and stuff. And then they had to go up against a team that has three really talented big men in Arizona. Uh, Brandon Ashley, Aaron Gordon, and uh, Caleb Tarzuski. But the, the the funny thing there is the story was Arizona's guards playing playing well and playing with Duke's guards. Yeah, you know it seems like you look at teams this year, uh, probably with the exception of Michigan State, and you look at the top teams and or maybe now Arizona. Now that you mentioned that their their guards played well and they've got a solid front court, but even Kentucky, um, you know, there's question marks about their back court court um with duke there's question marks about their front part uh, front court with louisville there's question marks about their front court um kansas backcourt so it seems like most of the top teams they've got a real they've all got question marks exactly um you know the, the, like i said the, the most complete team it, it might be michigan state or arizona from you know the fact that they've got good guard play and good front court play so but then it's I, still Michigan early in the State season. Have the depth, I think, like at least Arizona's yeah, got that, a little that, bit of depth. Yeah. So it's still early in the season. You know, I, I um, all those teams can improve on their weaknesses, with the exception of Duke. You can't improve not having uh, much of a front court as far as uh, size and height. Um, but you know, that's very interesting. You know, again, it's still November, uh, just getting into December. Um, but even the, the top teams are going to, uh, struggle a little bit. There's no dominant team. Like, you know, people are talking about Kentucky 40 and oh, that's not going to happen. And, uh, there's, there's not, there's going to be some struggles. Uh, you know, probably the, the champion, whoever it is, is going to have three or four losses potentially this year, but that, that makes it exciting. Well, and we talked about the, the dominant teams and you got to mention a team that struggled yesterday too, but was on display in Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State uh, played Butler yesterday in another just classic game, 69-67. Uh, Oklahoma State had this pretty pretty sizable lead, and uh, Butler came storming back. And but Oklahoma State, uh, as far as uh, talent goes, has got to be considered right there too. They've got good size, but they're probably lacking the one real dominant post player. But, you know, it's going to be real interesting because I really feel like you've got these six teams that are just right there with each other and, and how that happens. But I'm glad you brought up the fact about Kentucky struggling in the backcourt because that's been talked about a lot here lately. And fairly or unfairly, I, I think people forget that John Wall and that group struggled a little bit early. I mean, you, you had a an overtime win against a terrible Stanford team. It wasn't like that was a good Stanford team. That was a Stanford team that would finish in the bottom third of the Pac-10, if I remember correct. Um, Brandon Knight really didn't catch his stride until January or February. Right. You had a, you had, he was scoring, but he wasn't playing overall um, solid point guard play. Marcus Teague definitely wasn't. That's right. I mean, there was a lot of struggles that happened with these teams early. And you're not going to be able to really fully judge these Kentucky teams, I don't think, 
until you're in the middle of conference play. Well, I think you can already see maybe even a little bit quicker than Marquis Teague and, and Knight and Wall. Um, I can already see signs that, that Andrew Harrison is starting to get get a little bit. I mean, he's he's starting to recognize when to throw the lob, when to take the shot himself, when to drive. Um, I think the team as a whole, including Andrew, still um, struggles on when to make the easy pass, uh, especially when they're driving the lane. But uh, you're right. I mean, it, it's a long season. We're, we're not just barely hitting December. Um, you know, the difference uh, – with the thing that the Wall team and the Marquis Teague team had was they had superior talent. And so, you know, the the point guard play being decent to maybe substandard to what people expected, you could get away with that because you had superior talent elsewhere. Um, but as as we know, you have that play has to be by the time you get into postseason and tournament time uh, that. that that play has to be solid. Um, and so you're right. It's early. Well, and not only that, but I think you look at, you know, Andrew Harrison, the difference between him and where John Wall was, and even Teague, Brandon Knight so much, he's got a very positive assist to turnover ratio. He's mm-hmm. almost two to one. It's 26 mm-hmm. to 16. And uh, 16 turnovers in seven games. I mean, so basically a little bit over two a game for a guy who's got the ball in his hands most of the time. That's not bad. I mean, the main turnover issue on this team really is Julius Randle, but mm-hmm. it's because he's he's trying to learn when he can force it and when he can't force it. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole thing about making the easy pass is a really good comment too. I mean, they're they're going to have to figure that out. I, I think the more concerning team, the concerning thing with this Kentucky team is I'm not seeing the improved play in a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein. I don't see the growth that from last year to this year. Um, I think we're starting to see Poythers try to get it going, but it still struggles at times. You know, well, Cal would disagree with you, and I'm not saying uh, Cal was real has been real complimentary of Willie, um, especially after the last game. I will say his free throw shooting has improved. Of course, it couldn't get much worse. No, I mean he was terrible. Um, He's still 53 percent. And I think his rebounding has improved, although he did only he didn't have a great rebounding game last game. Uh, and I, of course, he's got more blocks per game. But I think Willie Collison is who he is. He's not a, you know, I agree with you. His his jump hook is inconsistent at best, and um, so offensively, um, you're right. There's a lot to be desired. Uh, other areas, I think he has improved, but. Um, is he as good as I thought he might be? Probably not. Um, but but he has improved, and he, he still is a young sophomore. Um, and he's probably going to get drafted because he's a seven-footer who has athletic ability and, and can can do a lot of the things that uh, defensively and rebounding that teams want. Well, and I don't think there's any question. I mean, this is going to have to be his year to come out. Uh, you know, and, and that's the other, I guess, interesting thing to look watch with this Kentucky team on, on who comes out and who doesn't come out. And, uh, I mean, obviously, I think you got three that are definite. And I, and I think Randall, Young, and Willie Cauley-Stein are definite coming out. And then you got the Twins, who have kind of dropped in their stock a little bit. And a lot of some places don't even have Aaron even getting picked at all. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. If, if their decision comes down to if they can both go or not, does Andrew not 
because they're so close. Does Andrew not go because he doesn't want to leave Aaron behind, or does Aaron go before he should because Andrew can get drafted? Yeah, and then you know they're not going to get picked on the same team. I mean, it's well, that's not like, true. So it's a, I don't know what the thought process is there, and uh, but it's it is going to be interesting because Andrew's kind of dropped more to the later first round, and uh, the interesting decision to me is if Andrew's projected twenty through thirty will be. Next year's draft is not going to be nearly as strong as the Wiggins, Randall, Jabari Parker draft. So Andrew comes back and could easily play himself into a lottery pick, Mm -hmm. especially the improvement that I think we could see in a guy like Andrew Harrison is the kind of improvement that can move you up high in the draft order. Mm -hmm. Um, He's obviously got the size. He needs to get quicker. He needs to show a little bit more athleticism. Uh, But, you know, from a decision-making standpoint, he does a pretty good job. Uh, But... A little bit more of a dynamic score, that kind of stuff. You can already tell, you can already see improvement in there. I think, you know, a lot of people are complaining about their body language and complaining the first couple games. I think that's improved a lot. Now, you know, Andrew, he still throws his hands up in the air at a few uh, foul calls, but he's not hanging his head near as much. Um, I'm a big fan of Aaron. I think he's really even killed and he's kind of, he he plays hard and he, he, he kind of plays the way, you know, he lets the game come to him um, a little bit more. Um, I think getting back to your draft question with UK, you know, at this point, Poitras isn't going to go or shouldn't go. No. Uh, I think Dakari Johnson should probably come back. I don't think Dakari is really even a question. I mean, I, Marcus Lee will definitely be back. And, and um, you bring those guys back and potentially the Harrisons uh, with what UK has coming in, and you're looking at another top five team now. A lot can happen between now and then, and Cal's, you know, six months ago was talking about getting seven players drafted, and, you know, he likes to say that for recruiting reasons, obviously, but um, I don't think that's realistic. Well, and then there's, and this is something I guess we can talk on the other side of the break, you know, so after following up last year where, you know, they didn't have the one done draft impact or the season that they thought, if the guys, you know, if he comes, if Cal's boasting about having seven guys picked, and let's say only three or four go, does that start to affect his recruiting a little bit? And are we starting to see it kind of even out even a little? Because, you know, Cal, listen, next year's recruiting class for Cal is excellent. He's got two top 11 guys coming in, but he doesn't have that top five guy coming in. Yeah. And that's a totally, and Evan Daniels pointed that out when we had him on the show a couple weeks ago. That's a, that's a, Totally unfair criticism because this is still the number two recruiting class in the country. If we plus would have had this recruiting class before Cal, we would have been like dancing in the streets. Plus, he could have a couple top ten guys from this year, like we just mentioned, potentially could come back, hang around. So. But is, is them hanging around? Does that hurt what he tries to sell these young kids? I don't think so because if you uh, if you have you know if you have three. And instead of seven, you still have three top first round draft picks that are that are first year players with exception of Collie Stein. Plus, you have the Terrence Jones to point to and the Darren Lamb, Deron Lamb to point to of players that came back for the second year and are now successful. I think Deron is still in the NBA even though he was drafted in the second round, and uh, Terrence Jones is, I believe, he has started at least a few games, if not, is still a starter for the Rockets. So, um, you know, even even Darius Miller, who was a, a fourth year player, is still uh, with the Pelicans, I believe. 
Um, he's still there. He's still on the team. But, uh, yeah, even if you don't get – first of all, the recruits nationally don't pay attention to number seven as much as the state of Kentucky does. I would, I would agree with that. Um, and if you're still getting uh, – But that doesn't mean that other coaches aren't using that against them. Well, true, but uh, other coaches are using everything they can against them every day, so that's not going to be – I guess to answer your question is I don't think it's a big deal. Well, let's talk about that more on the other side of the break. we got more college basketball to talk about on the other side of the break. Louisville, of course, played last night. we got a Kentucky football game that's going on tonight. We're going to take our first break. If you want to join the fun, call us on the Oxmore Ford Lincoln Buzz Line, 502-384-1450. Oxmore Ford Service next to the Oxmore Mall. Now with extended service hours, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday and 8 a.m. until 4 on Saturdays. We will be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Jamie. A little bit of uh, the day of sports that was yesterday. A great day in college basketball. A good day in college football. We saw a very exciting Arkansas-LSU game. Now, Arkansas, a lot of SEC fans would have said that there was a, a huge, um, there was a probably a bigger discrepancy at the bottom than there is at the top, that Kentucky and Arkansas were fighting for the worst team in the SEC, <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. yes. Uh, but Arkansas comes out, goes to LSU, and basically blew it. I mean, they had that game in hand, and then they had a receive. They had a, deep, a defensive back who was totally just beat one on one. He bit on a he bit on the quarterback. Thought he was going with a shorter route, and the receiver just blew past him. And yeah, and that well, I mean, that was such a surprising call. On I want to say it was third, third and, and ten, third and ten, and you know that's it for LSU. They've got two downs to get a first down, and they they decide they're going to go deep. Um, yeah, nobody. I, I can understand why the cornerback wouldn't have expected that. Um, Although but, that's less miles, right? Yeah, less miles will roll that roll the dice and take those kind of risks. And he's got a freshman quarterback in there because the starter's out, and uh, you know it's just at the less miles is one of the the whack, Everybody knows he's a wacky coach. Um, he's not the Mad Hatter for nothing. Uh, he likes to eat grass. He also likes to call. Make gutsy calls, and and it's unbelievable. For the most part, being at LSU, it has always worked out for him. And you know, there's there's a few situations here and there, maybe where it hasn't. But you know, he's had a great. I don't know how many ten win seasons he's had at LSU. It's been most of his seasons, but a lot of those seasons he's had two or three games where it could have gone the other way. It goes his way, and so um, you know. I, He's one of the luckiest coaches I've seen. Well, I mean, he's lucky from the standpoint he wins a national title with two losses. That's right. I mean, that's has that happened other than him in the last since the, in the BCS? I don't think it's happened. I think that's the only time in the BCS. I mean, um, he is incredibly lucky. So, you know, I'm kind of glad he's LSU coach because that every time we play them, I think we have a shot. Not because it's anywhere close to talent-wise, uh, the same level. And again, I wouldn't say so today. But back in 07, I remember telling my friends, and again, this is hindsight 2020 or, or you know, easy 
uh, revisionist history, whatever you want to call it. But in 07, I remember uh, the summer before that year, LSU was, I think, ranked number one in the country, if not top two or three. And I remember thinking that's when we had Woodson and uh, Burden right. and Stevie got loose and thinking we had a legitimate shot because it was at home and because it was less miles. You just never know what he's going to do. And I even think we won that game. We played a great game, but fourth and two um, in overtime, and he runs the ball. And to me, that's a passing down. It's a passing down, anything over two yards. you know. So um, I think he helped us out a little bit uh, with, with the play calling there. But, but uh, you know, he's a good, great recruiter. Um, he, he can't argue with his record. And uh, But, yes, Arkansas did let one get away. Um, and, you know, I feel for him um, because I know exactly what, what that's like. Um, and, you know, let's, let's not forget both Kentucky and Arkansas are truly in a transition year. As it's not, if, not, yeah, not if not, you know, you could almost say a two year transition period because you got to get, uh, it takes that long to get your philosophy, your system and your recruits going and, you know, it, it, three or four years to get them to be upperclassmen. So, and it just to me shows how, and the real football world how little respect the Big Ten gets that you leave a top-notch Big Ten program to go to a bottom feeder SEC school. Well, I wouldn't. Who call, has promised? They have promised. I wouldn't call Arkansas bottom feeder. They have been to the SEC title game in the past five years. Right, but they are. But they're still a bottom feeder right now. I mean, they got. Yes, but and you got to. You had to come up in through the West, and you've got to battle LSU and just your division, not the conference. LSU, Auburn, and Alabama. And Texas A&M. That's true. I, I, I would just say coaches don't look at Arkansas from a historical perspective and from even probably a um, a resources perspective the same they, same way they would at Kentucky. I mean, Arkansas has a better history in football. Or, and Not debating that. I'm looking at how Arkansas is compared to Wisconsin. Well, I agree with that. and But I will tell you this. I think uh, he made an – a stupid decision. Um, now I don't know. There's, I read an article somewhere where he was unhappy or felt unappreciated or whatever up there. Um, I, I think, don't know how I you, think. I mean, I, how do you underappreciate that guy? You know, I don't know. I mean, he he definitely was a different personality than uh, Barry Alvarez, who he replaced. Of course, Barry Alvarez was his AD. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he's definitely a different personality than, than Alvarez. He's he's got an ego. Most coaches do. You have to to succeed in that profession. Um, but I think in this case, his ego might have led him somewhere where he not necessarily didn't want to go, but where he probably underestimated where he was going because the SEC is a different world in college football compared to the Big Ten and other conferences. And you know, another point being there is that. You know, we thought the ACC was on the on the route of, of being an improved conference, mm-hmm. and uh, it's looking like they really have one, two quality teams in there, and the rest of them are kind of falling by the wayside. And well, now you're it, seeing a team like Duke sitting at five and two in conference and a chance to play in their conference title game. Well, that that's. It's a good point, but is that a question of Duke's really actually a quality team, or are those two teams are falling by the wayside? Well, it's got to be a combination. 
Because if if Kentucky gets turned around with Stoops, are people going to start saying that SEC is weak? Or it's a lot easier to turn around. I would think at Kentucky and recruit football players to come to Kentucky than it would be to go to a small school like Duke. When you're talking about twenty four thousand students compared to six, well, compared to Vandy, it hasn't been tough for Franklin or Vandy. No, it hadn't been tougher. He, he's doing a great. And job. I would say it's a lot easier to sell them on competing in the ACC than it is selling Kentucky competing in the SEC against the, well, not the Floridas this year, but the Alabamas, Auburns. The but Georgias. then you go back to that historical look, and like you look at the attendance records for Kentucky compared to Duke and the support. For well, I agree. I, I, I've been blown away by what Mandy's been able to do because. Because of those. Especially hurdles. when UK loses out on a recruit to Vandy. Because I look at historically the fan support and, and the facilities and the attendance i mean vanderbilt was giving away two tickets when you bought a scarf <laughs> to the last to the uk home game i remember that um i have a my brother-in-law lives in vandy and you can take any amount of kids so you can if, if you're a couple you can take and you have two kids anybody under 18 gets in get in for free if you buy your tickets so um you compare that with Kentucky, I just don't understand why they would ever lose out on a recruit, with the exception of selling the school on the academic side. But from a truly football pr- perspective and fan base support, um, I just don't get it. Well, let's run down college football yesterday real quick because uh, we had some really good games. You had, uh, you had an undefeated uh, mid-major Fresno State suffer their first loss of the year. Uh, any, I think probably any kind of BCS chance that they had. Um, because they were still kind of on the on the outside looking in there, UCF um, struggling again with the uh, the the two bottom feeders in the AAC have been South Florida and Temple this year, and UCF has really struggled with both of them. I don't know if they're kind of going through that same complacency thing that Louisville went through or what, but uh, they did survive uh, a twenty three twenty win. And, Does that uh, cement their BCS? Bid? They now at least uh, guarantee a share of the ACC, AAC title, but and, and it'll I think only be a two-way share because either Cincinnati or Louisville is going to right. have a loss after this week. Right. So, um, more than, UCF has beaten both of them. So I guess you know, obviously. So right. well, that that would mean that they would get the tie. They're, they're going to they get I the tie break and they're going to go. Yeah. So, um, so yes, they are now your. AAC BCS representative. What is it Orange Bowl? Uh, I don't know actually how that's working out this year. I, for some reason, I think there's, it's more of a selection process. Mm. So Oregon. So they pulled a Louisville this year. They pulled a Louisville. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, actually, they might win it outright instead of tying and just getting in on a on a tiebreaker. Actually, so they might actually be legitimate getting into the BCS. And you know, we'll talk about. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But when we'll. we'll we can talk a little bit more about the fact that um, do they belong or not? Their one loss is to a, a pretty good South Carolina team that they had to – South Carolina had to come back and win that game. That's really the only true test on their schedule to see how good they are. Um, well, they don't belong any more or less than Fresno State does just because they lost the game. I would say they probably belong more than Fresno State does. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, Fresno State – the only difference between them and Fresno State is Fresno State um, doesn't play in an automatic BCS bowl bid. Well, we uh, do have a common league. opponent to look at there. Fresno State needed an overtime blunder by Rutgers to beat them at home. And Central Florida 
totally annihilated Rutgers. Okay. So, um, you know, I think there's probably a, a talent difference there. Central Florida is, I mean, a pretty solid football team, and uh, I think well, I became a believer one, uh, after I saw that catch a few weeks ago to basically beat Temple. Yeah, that was, was crazy. One of the most unbelievable catches I've ever seen. So, and then uh, so we had the LSU win, uh, late win. Oregon surviving in the last minute against Oregon State. Fresno State getting their first loss and a uh, 10-point loss, which is the you know largest margin of all the major games yesterday. And then UCF uh, beating South Florida. So that's your uh, top 25 rundown of football yesterday. Um, today, not a college basketball day, but a great day of college football. And I want to really kind of talk about this for a while. I, a, I, I want us to get into the Kentucky-Tennessee game and what it means to both programs because if I'm not mistaken, both teams had the same number of wins that they finished with last year. They got new head coaches. They've got a little bit of a new momentum. I think the win would mean more to the Kentucky program than the win would mean for the Tennessee program because Tennessee's already got that marquee win this year. But the loss would be more devastating to the Tennessee program than it would be to the Kentucky program. Um, so I want us to get into that. I also want to get into, uh, something that you and I have talked about off the air next year. This is the weekend of the UK UFL game. Mm -hmm. It is way too cold out there for me to go out there and tailgate for three hours. And I'm a pretty good diehard fan. I think we're looking at a situation where tonight the Commonwealth stadium is not going to have the crowd that it's had the rest of the year. And that's going against a Tennessee team that half the state feels is a bigger rival to them than Louisville is. Well, I'll go ahead and make this comment. We can talk about it. I think I don't. I don't know. I, I'm expecting a uh, a down crowd today tonight um, because it's a night game. It's cold. You're fighting the holidays. It's been a, you're fighting the holidays. It's been a rough season for UK. Um, it is Tennessee, so there's a little hope that it'll be more than, than half full, uh, if not, you know, three-fourths full. I'm not holding my breath on that. But I will say this. I would be willing to bet, and there's no way I can prove this, but my opinion is if this was the Louisville game, you would have more people in the stands tonight than you would if it the ten, it being the Tennessee game. And what's your basis on that, just, just out of curiosity? Uh I just think it is more of a rivalry. The level of the rivalry rivalry has surpassed Tennessee, mainly two reasons. It's in-state, and we've won more than one game in the past 28 years against the school. But is that because we live in Louisville, and we don't live in Perry County or you know, or Bell County or anything like that? Uh, that has a lot to do with my um, opinion of it. But again, I mean... I mean, I agree with you. Somebody living in um, E-Town, what, what they're, they're closer to Louisville than they are Tennessee. You know, so, well, that's why I said half the state yeah. feels that way. Um, so I, I, I think it's more of a rival from the uh, record perspective and from the it's, it's the other in-state school. You know, just like an Oregon or Oregon State uh, or a Clemson, South Carolina. Um, so... Uh, my opinion is that you would see a better crowd. And I think going forward, you'll see better crowds. Um, you know, if Kentucky's five and six or even four and seven and are eliminated for a bowl bid and, or, uh, and Louisville is 10 and two or nine and two. 
Um, Kentucky still has the, the bragging rights on the line. There's still a reason to play that game. So I, I think I like it. I, I know what your opinion is. Um, well, we'll get into that a little bit more. We're actually up against the break. Let's, let's go take our second break, and when we come back, we'll talk about you know this being the future Louisville Kentucky weekend next year and uh, get into what that means. So we will be right back on the weekend sports bus. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Sports Buzz, Mike Andolfo here with Jason Stuber, and we're talking a little bit um, about the KUVL game. This is going to be the weekend next year, and this is one of the biggest weekends of college football. So Jason had his point that he feels like, you know, at the end of the year, the game's still relevant no matter what the records are, whatever else. My point being that, hey, I don't really want to be out there in the cold. I, the atmosphere of this game is so important. And having that warm weather where you can come out and tailgate and, and harass the other fan base and they can harass you back and it goes back and forth. And you can literally party for three hours before and an hour and a half after the game, uh, whether or not you're celebrating or journaling your sorrows. But everybody's undefeated going into that week one. Everybody's got some glimmer of hope. It's one of those things to me that really sets up good. But we the slate of football that's going to happen today is so good that the noon games are Florida-Florida State and Ohio State-Michigan. Yeah. You've got Georgia-Georgia Tech, Alabama-Auburn, uh, Clemson-South Carolina. You've got all these games. Texas A&M and Missouri this year is a huge game, obviously. You got all these games that are going to overshadow the UK Louisville game, and you know nationally, how big of a game is the UK Louisville game anyway? Probably not, but still, there's a lot of those games that are played regionally. I don't want to end up Indiana Purdue, which they play today, and no Let one's even talking this. about what it. What if what if the Louisville Kentucky game was a Friday night game? What do you think about that? Well, I would be probably more in favor of that. Now you're going to get pushback from the state of Kentucky, big time if that ever happens with. This being the semifinals of high school football, the Friday night before, and maybe they had to flip flop. I don't. I don't know. Uh, and you saw last night that. And just to talk about that real quick, congratulations to Scott County for beating beating Mail. I mean, it's uh, this has been the, the most unpredictable high school football playoffs we've ever had. And that, that's another thing. I mean, now instead of I mean, having a thing that has helped build high school football in this area, you've got a game right smack in the middle of high school football playoffs is going to take away from that kind of stuff. Well, did, do the state basketball playoffs happen during the NCAA tournament? They happen usually during the first round. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, things change and things happen. I, I guess if um, – I can see that argument, but uh, – I don't like the proximity to the strong. basketball game. I don't like being playing cold weather, and I don't like that they have to compete. Well, I don't think the state of Kentucky is going to complain because both schools are now, it's all about money and it's coming from the SEC and the ACC, which are telling them there are two schools you're going to play in the last week and, and it's keeping the two programs uh, in the upper et- echelon of college athletic programs because of this money coming from TV deals. And <laughs> SEC and ACC don't give a hoot about uh, Kentucky State high school football. So, Again, I'm not saying that's a, not a legitimate viewpoint, but um, it's not going to be a factor in when this game is played. Yeah, I will tell so, you that that actually I feel it could be a bigger factor than 
from knowing like what goes on the state athletic director level and the kind of, I, I don't know. I think it could be a bigger factor. At least it would be on the discussion block. I mean, I do think, well, I mean, I, I guess my, my point of view is the KHSAA is not going to dictate to ESPN or the SEC and ACC when the game's played. The, um, the other part is you got students that are away. Do students come back for the UK UFL football game? Well, in my opinion, is if the game is as important and as big as is it should be, and is is moved on to a point where it where we think it should be, then yes. If not, then I guess then neither program is a legit. You know, they don't have a following. They don't. They're they're not uh, where we thought they were in terms of uh, fan support for the football program. And I guess we'll have to see. I mean, again, I just I think when we had this discussion back in the in the summer when it was announced that they're going to move it to the last football game of the year, you know, it was easy to think conceptually, you know, what it would be like, Oh, it's great. You know, now we're relevant because all the other big robbers are the last game of the year. But now that the weekend's here and you see all the uphill battles you had to fight to make this game relevant and make it important. Do you agree that it at least takes away from the atmosphere from the tailgating atmosphere beforehand and all that other stuff that you would normally have? Well, I, it, it has the potential to, but until we had a, a, a game on this weekend to see what the crowd response is, I mean, there I could see a lot of people going all out for this game, setting up their bonfires, at, you know, and really going all out and putting on their layers and having a good time. But it, it, it it's hard to say. And a lot depends on the season that each team has going on. But um, well, we'll find out next year because we're gonna have a not very good. Kentucky what team. if what if Louisville was undefeated and Kentucky was had a, had a, a better team and a better record, and UK had the chance to, uh, you know, yes, once every twenty years. Well, the game could have some. They were supposed to be undefeated it. this year. And and we might have 70-degree weather in November, and everything like that could happen. Yes, it all could line up in the stars. The majority of the time, it's going to be cold. We're going to have two 500 or below teams, and basketball is already going full swing, and both the basketball teams will be in the top 10, and the student drawn break. Oh, that, you know, I, my opinion is you play your rival in the last game of the year in football, So, and I think they're our rival now. Look, I would agree that they're our rival. I'm not – there's no different. I mean, Tennessee, Louisville – they're the two rivals, but you got to go with the in-state rival. I would not agree that we're at the level where we can compete with these other big-time matchups, nor would I say that, you know, Clemson and South Carolina and Alabama and Auburn, it's still uh, usually fairly decent weather down those areas this time of year. Uh, this is where the, we be, where the South jokes on us for calling us a southern city when it comes to this time of year because it's, it's usually not warm these, this time of year for us. And it's just to me. Uh, it's, well, to me, the fans got to step up. You know, last last week Louisville t- took a lot of flack for having a half-empty stadium on Senior Day, and they're supposed to be a, a top twenty program. My uncle calls them the most up-and-coming program in the nation. Well, well, that's my point exactly. You got a situation this week with Kentucky where the stadium is going to have a below-average attendance for the the year. But that's the fans. The, fa- the fans have got that's it, it, it's in the fans' court, in my opinion. I mean, if if they can't fill the stadium for their rival on the last game of the uh, weekend of the season, 
then both programs aren't what we thought they were. Well, then I guess they're not because you're going to see a below average <laughs> fan base today against a, and a winnable Tennessee game. It's a long, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that Kentucky should be favored and I expect Kentucky to win, but it's a winnable game for Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And last weekend you had senior night at Louisville and you're saying goodbye to the, you know, the best quarterback in school history. But you got a boring product if, on the if field. If last weekend were the Kentucky game, do you think it would have been half empty versus what they had last weekend? I all, all I know, Memphis. all I know is what it was just kind of cold. It wasn't even like this kind of cold. But it was Memphis. It was Memphis, but it was senior night for the last time Teddy Bridgewater's playing in Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. That's not confirmed yet. Not confirmed, but it's going to be okay. The last time, more than likely, that Teddy Bridgewater plays in Cardinal Stadium, you've got a ten and one team, and I'm hearing from Louisville fans. That you know they announced in the mid 40s, but I'm hearing that it was like low 30s mm -hmm. is how many fans. And then by the end of the game, you know, and it, but that that's a combination of having a, a boring product to watch. Louisville's a Louisville's not a fun football team to watch play, and having a basketball Which game. Which is very surprising to say with Teddy Bridgewater and your team. It's in Dante Parker because. They should be exciting to watch. Well, last year, I guess if you look at last year. Everybody remembers the Sugar Bowl game, and they were exciting to watch. But they were unbelievable. If you, exciting if you go to watch. back through the season, they were a grinded out team a little bit. Even with Teddy, they weren't as exciting as that Sugar Bowl game. That was kind of a shock and awe. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I agree. And I think a lot of you all fans were expecting that this season, and it hasn't been that way. No, and I agree. I mean, they had to do something completely different to catch Florida off guard, and that's what they did. Yep. And they had a great game plan, and they played awesome in that game, and nobody can take that away from them. You know, I'm sitting there the whole time watching the game and just figuring out if I want to move to another state or not. because. Well, of and, and I am I guess I'm sticking up for the, the card football fan a little bit because I think at the beginning of the season they were thinking uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Dante Parker, a, a stable of – Great receivers. running backs. Well, receivers and running backs. Yeah. And they, of course, your last image of last year is that Sugar Bowl where they dominated Florida. And you're you're excited and you're thinking, we're going to just put points all, we're going to blow, the, we're going to have to get three scoreboards this year because we're just going to wear it out. And that has not happened. And then. And they've struggled, actually. I, I mean, I think that, you know, they, there's only been a couple times where you can look and say that they've had a real dominant performance. So if you're a Louisville fan and you say, even though you only have to drive 20 minutes to get to your game, um, and you're saying, do I want to go see Memphis in a cold weather? Um, but it's more than that. I mean, it's a, I mean, the only reason that I would think about going tonight, and I'm, I'm not going tonight, and I'm going to be that fair weather Kentucky fan today because it's the holidays, and, and we're having Thanksgiving with my immediate family, and I just want to spend a little time there, okay. even though half my family's going to the game. I, you know, I, the only reason I would think about it is I need to, uh, you know, to say goodbye to Avery Williamson and Bud Dupree and Dante Rumpf and why. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm I'm a Kentucky season ticket holder, and I if I had my I've only missed one home game. I'd rather stay home and watch Auburn, Alabama. But I'm making the decision as a fan that wants to see the program do well and support it. I'm going. It's as much to fill the stadium and, and support the program as it is to say goodbye to the seniors. And you know, I think um, if you look at you look at attendance across the country. I mean, schools like Georgia and Alabama. They're down. Well, for their weaker games, a lot of the students don't go. You know, their upper decks are a little bit empty. So, uh, again, um, that's just kind of the trend. You know, you look at Louisville. Again, you mentioned Memphis. And, 
you know, they're ready for next year. They're ready for the ACC. And well, I just also feel like there's a big part of that that there was a basketball game on at two o'clock, and that took a lot. You know, right in the middle of their football game, a basketball game takes off. And even though that Louisville has not played this incredibly tough schedule, and of course, since we've had the last radio show, Louisville has lost, which we haven't even talked about that yet. What basketball game was it? They had the game before North Carolina, so whoever oh, they yeah. played in the the opener um, before North Carolina, that's who they had, and and they actually struggled. You know, it was a lot closer than I guess what they anticipated that being. But up to that point, Loyola played a really weak schedule in basketball, but they were exciting to watch. I mean, they were still getting after it and putting up points and running up and down the floor. And, you know, I, they were playing the way that Rick's got to play this year because with the guards that he has and so limited underneath the basket, they've got to get up and down the floor and move, mm-hmm. which is another totally opposite topic because now we're going to basketball, but they started. Mango Mathiang last night and their win over a pretty good Southern Miss team, an undefeated Southern Miss team. And uh, Who were they starting before him? They were starting Vantrese. Ah, okay. So it looks like the Vantrese, and, and I totally agree with this. Now, this could be Patino just trying to get Vantrese to play the way he wants him to play. But you know what you're going to get at Vantrese. You're not going to get anything special. At some point, when do you just throw Mango in there and say, all right, for us to really be a national contender, national contender You've got to start moving. Well, he and said that more last night. Um, I was on Twitter. One of the uh, WDRB guys quoted Patino saying, "We've decided we're going to throw mango in the fire. Mango in there. We're going to take. We're going to go with him, even with his mistakes." So that's pretty much said. Uh, even for this year, they think he's going to be uh, a better option than Van Trees. Well, he can do more. I mean. Yeah. I, He's probably going to make more mistakes than Vantrees. He's not going to be a steady, but he has the potential to do more. Now, the Terry Rozier start last night over Chris Jones, I think that was to grab Chris Jones' attention. And, uh, you well, know, but Terry's going to play a lot. said it was to give Rozier confidence, too. Yeah, because Terry's, Terry's playing well, man. That, that kid. Now, that Anton Gill kid, I thought he was – I was expecting him to be more of a um, significant contributor this year. You know, Anton, I think Anton's still an excellent player, and I just think you – there's so many minutes and there's so many players for him. I mean, you got Hancock, you got Ware, you got Blackshear. I mean, there's so many guys that you've got to compete with for time. Um, but, you know, I think if they have to have a, a big time shot, you know, they're definitely going to have to look to have Gill on the floor and he'll play himself into the rotation. But I think next year is, is his year to shine uh, without a doubt. So, you know, they got to get Russ is going to still eat up 35 to 38 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So, that only leaves really, and Anton's not going to play the one. He's not going, so that only really leaves that other spot that you got all those other guys competing for time. So, from that standpoint, they're so deep at guard on the on the perimeter, uh, it's it's unbelievable. But the exact opposite, I mean, you're starting to see Montrez, I think, get ex, get exposed a little bit, and uh, Shane hasn't shown up besides all the distractions. And mm-hmm. you know, I want to I want to make sure we talk about that here too. But we're up against our first hour. And uh, it's gone quick. We've got a lot of good discussion. Join in the fun. Call us, 502-384-1450. Mike and Jason are here in the Weekend Sports Buzz, and we will be right back with our second hour. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. here 
Love to hear from you. Call us on the 502-384-1450 Oxmoor 4 Lincoln Buzz Line. We were uh, talking about the uh, UK UofL game and whether or not it's going to be good to have the last game of the year in the middle of basketball season. Conflicting uh, opinions between the two of us, which is good because that makes for good radio. Uh, talking about the great day in college football that was, or that is, coming up. We actually just kind of briefly touched on it. Uh, and we need to get into, uh, talk a little bit more basketball. We start, we finished the last hour talking about the Louisville Cardinal basketball program. And they played last night, a, you know, a team that I think people have to consider a pretty good opponent uh, in a Southern Miss team that was undefeated. And after losing to North Carolina, the way that Louisville lost to North Carolina, you, I expected them to have a better defensive effort. Holding a team to under 40 points with the new rules is a pretty freaking strong defensive effort. Yes, it is very true. Um, you know, I I was I watched the whole game, and because you are married to a loyal fan, that's right. That's the only reason. <laughs> but um, well, two things stuck out in that game. First of all, yes, they played great defense. Um, Southern Miss, I think, uh, missed a lot of. Uh, they just couldn't shoot. They weren't a very good shooting team, so they they couldn't threaten with the outside shots. So. Uh, that allowed Louisville to, I think, um, give them some of those shots, and and um, yeah, you know, even when they were open, they uh, they they just couldn't knock it down. So it, it doesn't really they weren't able to open up the floor much against Louisville. Um, but you got to give them credit. I mean, I think it was 13 points in the first half, and that's incredible, um, by the way. Nowadays, I mean, to hold someone to 13 points. Yeah. But I think the other thing that kind of stuck out to me is uh, Louisville. They they weren't really great offensively last night. No, I mean, they, I mean, forty two percent from the field, fifty percent from the line. Yeah, and uh, they what was the final score? They did they did they hit seventy? No, sixty nine thirty eight. So it was a thirty one point victory. But but they're they're they weren't. It wasn't. First of all, they don't get any points inside unless it's from rebounding. So that that if I'm a card fan, that's a concern. Um, and they kind of live and die by a three point shot and they hit a a bunch early last night. Um, Luke Hancock was, was, uh, pretty horrid from there. I think he had finished like one for five or one One for for eight from three point range. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think Chris Jones was, had a good night from there and Terry Rozier did and Russ Smith is Russ Smith, but. They don't, they don't get a lot of points inside except for second-chance points, and that, that's got to be a concern going forward. I, you know, the, I think a lot of the card fans thought Montre- Montrez Harrell was going to be more dominant, and there's no doubt he's a physical, imposing presence. He's a great rebounder. He's he's very physical. But as far as getting the ball in the post and making offensive moves, um, I don't know if he's where they thought he might be. No, and again, that's, that's the difference, I think, of – Gorgie being there and Gorgie not being there. When mm-hmm. Gorgie's there and your focus defensively has to be on Gorgie, mm-hmm. or even to some degree Shane, who's more at last year was more of a known quantity than Montrez. That's now the focus is on Montrez. All the front court defensive scouting is how do we stop Montrez Harrell? Mm-hmm. And when you can't really score beyond six, seven feet away from the basket, it's not that hard. You know, I mean, it's Montrez. This is not a knock on him. I mean, he's a great player. I mean, he's but he's still he's got a ways to go. And 
I think the thought of him being a lottery pick in the NBA draft was a little premature just because we never got to see, okay, let's game plan Montrez Harrell and see what happens because he's still an undersized four even at the next level or even at this level. And, you know, he had nine rebounds last night, but he's not a great rebounder. And to me, that's where he's got he's to improve at becoming a more tenacious rebounder and he's got to become a better mid-range scorer. And, uh, you know, you did get 11 points out of him last night. But if you're looking at that front court, Montrez with 11, Mango with 2, McCoy didn't score, Ventrese with 1, Bahannon with 2. Wow. That's not that, a lot of that's points. That's a concern. That's a big concern. And I know that, you know, Louisville fans will be quick to point out that, you know, how's and, Kentucky. And that's against Southern Miss. That's, that's against not, Southern Miss, yes. Yeah. How's Kentucky going to guard Louisville's matchup with Louisville's backcourt, I feel a whole lot better about Kentucky matching up with Louisville's backcourt than I would if I was a Louisville fan and had to worry about Louisville's frontcourt matching up with Kentucky's no frontcourt. No doubt about that. Because they got nobody who can stop uh, Julius Randle. And then and Julius is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, well, we I mean, need I, to I think keep on coming with studs. Dakari Johnson getting the ball down there because he's, unlike Willie Collistein, he's got good low post moves. And he's actually going up against players that are two, three inches shorter than him. Uh, that's a matchup problem for them. Um, well, even Willie, Alex Poitras could have a field day down there. Yeah, well, even with Willie, who you know has the ability of of at least facing the basket and making a move because of how athletic he is and how how quick he is. Um, Willie Colley Stein is going to be a matchup problem. I I don't know. You know, I'm sure they're going to play a lot of zone against Kentucky. But by that time, Kentucky will have plenty of practice against them because that's all they played against, really. And I think the other unfair knock on this Kentucky team is that they can't shoot from the outside. And, you know, and that Cal's teams don't shoot it well from the outside. And I think this team uh, in particular, that's really an unfair statement to say because, you know, both the Harrison twins can knock it down. Aaron Harrison is is an excellent shooter. Uh, James Young is an excellent shooter. Poitras is stepping out there. Well, Young is like below 30% from three this year, so he hasn't he's, shown it. But he's he's at the ability. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's any, I don't got, think there's any doubt. You definitely can't just say, oh, this guy's shooting under 30%. And let's just leave him alone shoot as many as he wants. Because if he starts getting hot, you know, he's got the potential to knock down a ton of them. And I, I would say as far as Cal's shooting teams go, and I think Cal's even said that this is probably his best outside shooting team that they that they've had mm-hmm. and um you know if uh russ smith gets a little, going a little bit I, he'll throw dominique hawkins out there on him and dominique just doesn't care him he'll just that guy defends like no other well, you've got aaron Harris, just aaron harrison shooting 29 percent from three you got james young 27 now andrew's shooting 43 um but other than that what's will what's uh what's poitra shooting from three, he is uh, 25%. 25%. He hadn't chugged, I guess, as many so, as I thought So, you know, I, to me, until they show, to me, that is the that is the Achilles heel. Yeah, they, they might be a great shooting team in practice, but in the games, they haven't shown it consistently. One player might have had a good game here or there. Um, but if I'm Patino or any other team, I'll make them beat me from the three. Well, and I think that's going to be the case. But I, and I, but I, real, I really feel like that could be uh, an issue. So... Um, I, I think the Cats, at least by then, are going to be a lot more confident there. And I think what it's going to come down to is, can they get the post players to become better passers? Because if Randall 
and Willie Cauley-Stein and whoever else catches it down low starts kicking it out when they start getting those double and triple teams, that inside-outside three mm-hmm. is the best three-point shot in basketball. I mean, yeah. it, you're stepping into the pass that's a direct line to the basket, and it's... Uh, the other pass that they struggle to make, which to me just boggles my mind because it just is is good basketball sense because you take the ball where the defense isn't. But a lot of times when they're dribbling, they're coming from uh, one side and they're dribbling kind of towards the, the key area and they're dribbling towards the lane area. And there's a guy opposite of where they're coming from on the three-point line wide open because some guy sagged to help. They just, That's that easy little skip pass. Well, it's, it's just a, a dish out, really. Yeah. It's not a skip. It's a dish. And it's like drive, draw, and dish. And they, to me, they miss a lot of those opportunities to get to set each other up for easy shots. That I don't – it doesn't – I don't get it. But um, the one thing – the one thing that, that – uh, I, I think with Julius Randle, it seems to me – he's such a dominant player, but it also seems to me he's in too much of a hurry with everything he does. And I think that's just a freshman getting adjusted to the speed of college basketball. And, and you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, and that's why he makes a lot of the turnovers he makes. Yeah. But but I'm talking, I, it's not as much as the turnovers and the, the floor play. It's when he goes up for shots. It's too much uh, double clutching, too quick, and just go up. Nobody, you're, you're a strong, the strongest, biggest guy on the court. Right. Just go up and score the basketball because i think that's why he misses a lot of shots that he should make close in he's uh he's definitely a presence though and i and i, and I think by the time you see him in february he is going to be so much more efficient than the, what he is now and that's what's scary because you know he's seven straight double doubles to start his college career that's crazy mm-hmm. i mean it's uh yeah it, it's funny that i'm sitting here complaining about a guy with Averaging nineteen and thirteen, um, <laughs> but uh, even with a guy nineteen and thirteen, he's averaging five six turnovers a game. So there is, there is some, there are some concerns and some things to work on with him. So, but again, and I think a lot of that's going to be solved for when he starts to pass uh, out to uh, pass out to the rest of the of the of the people on, around the perimeter. It's going to open up that inside play for him. And it's just going to make them a whole lot more efficient on offense. They're still trying to learn how to play together. I don't think there's any bit, no, but now they have this this schedule. The remainder of their uh, non-conference, there's not a bunny left in the non-conference. No, I mean now you got Sunday tomorrow's game against Providence. Uh, Boise State's good. Boise State, you got Baylor. Uh, you know we saw what North Carolina did to Louisville. We got to go down to Chapel Hill. Yeah, I can't wait. Because yeah. if Kentucky beats North Carolina on Chapel Hill, what's the loyal fan reaction going to be? Well, I mean... They'll just say they'll, they didn't play well? They'll be worried, but I mean, to me, that's not as important as actually playing the Louisville game. And then we got, so. yeah, and then we got Belmont, and then as the tune-up before uh, Cal has a whole week to prepare for Ricky P and the Louisville Cardinals coming into Rupp Arena. So... Uh, that's a it's a pretty good little stretch. We're gonna see what this Kentucky's made. They're they're gonna grow a ton in the month of December mm-hmm. because of there's not an easy game and they've got to bring it every, every time night. on the floor. Yeah. Well, you, you can debate with me and and but I I I think the last two games they've played two teams they played Eastern Michigan and 
Cleveland State, they are not bad teams. I mean, they had some good ball players on their teams. They were quick, athletic, had enough height to give to challenge Kentucky. And um, some of that had to do with Kentucky not starting and being a little lackadaisical and being young and not being mature enough to come out with the intensity. But those two teams were good basketball teams. So I think from what I've seen so far, Kentucky's done a good job of scheduling their non-conference. You know, if it's not a, a marquee name or mid, or a BCS league team, it's a mid-major team that has the potential to win to be the best in their conference, which I think is um, the way you want to go. I, I think, to me, I think that these teams, uh, some people have been, especially with the Cleveland State game, really concerned. But I watched that team. They had some great shooters. They had some great – one guy was a transfer from Penn State. They were a good, solid team. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, Kentucky is not just beating, uh, um, you know, number 300 out of 350 D1 schools. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, but listen, it's still a 3-3 three and three Cleveland State team that came into Rupp and probably played them a little bit closer now. You know, I I think the Eastern Michigan team's a pretty good team. Yeah. I mean, they beat that Cleveland State team by 12. Um, and I think Eastern Michigan's definitely got a chance to win their conference. Cleveland State hasn't really played anybody besides Kentucky, and they're sitting there 3-3. Three and three. So, yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I think that was a combination of Cleveland State probably playing a, a lot better than what they're capable of playing, and Kentucky dropping down a little bit and playing down to level competition. Mm-hmm. And that's what you got to do. So, like, the amazing thing about what Cal does, and you all can knock them for whatever you want to knock them for, but I know that their team hasn't had nearly the amount of issues that some other teams in this area have had this year. He's got to have, in a period of one year, he's got to get these kids to learn how to compete first off. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing now. They're learning how to compete. Then they got to learn how to win and how to handle winning. Mm-hmm. And they're actually kind of doing all three of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And learning how to handle winning is playing your brand of basketball. And that's what I've got to give Rick Pitino a lot of credit because his his Louisville team, except for um, the one game uh, that you know was before North Carolina, but that was their first game away from the Yum Center, they play their brand of basketball. The and other they, thing, they don't play down. The other thing that Cal's got to do, well, we'll get to Actually, I'm gonna. We're, I think we're up against a break here, so I'm gonna bring this point up when we get back. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll come right back, and we will be back on the weekend sports bus. Forty minutes left to go. We'll see you soon. You're listening to the weekend sports bus. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at three eight four fourteen fifty. digging all this Def Leppard music. He's in here dancing on the table as we speak. This Who is, doesn't? That's his jam right there. He's playing the one-armed drummer and all that stuff. So, uh, you were going to say before we went to break. Oh, well, we were talking about the things that Cal does with year in and year out with freshmen. And uh, I think you mentioned they got to learn how to compete and they got to learn how to win and handle winning. I think they also got to learn how to play team basketball. And I'm not saying that from... Well, that's the, part of learning how to compete, I think, you know. I agree, but I mean, to me, it's knowing, um, 
it's just different mindset. Not that these kids are selfless, but they're you know their teams gave them the ball, and, and the, they were so talented in high school that unless they were quadruple teamed, you know that their best play for their team was for them to to take the ball, take the shot most most times on the floor. Um, what I mean, learn how to play team basketball is knowing where a guy is open when a certain guy comes to double team you from a certain position. Where the open guy should be. Where the open guy is. Where that, that guy needs to learn how to slide into that slot. Right. So it's it's not only the passer, it's the guy getting open, but it, it's learning how to play off each other and play with each other to uh, in a team concept versus um, – and again, it's not a selfish standpoint. It's it's knowing how to see the court and play the game. No, I, and I totally agree with that. I mean, I, and that's again it, uh, probably a little bit more even difficult this year because you you're trying to get Andrew and Aaron to learn how to play with others mm-hmm. when they've never really had to do that. And so you've got two guys on the team that have played off each other and only each other mm-hmm. for 15 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden they got to learn how to share. And involve all these other guys, and that's it's not and it's the same thing with Julius. I mean, when you're double teamed in the post, where's the where's the double team coming from, and who's where's the defense rotated from? Where's the open man? And especially like when you consider where Julius came from in high school. I mean, Julius played on a team that was like playing for Louisville Collegiate. I mean, it wasn't right. like it was it was Julius and, and four little white guys on the yeah. on the floor with him. So yeah, uh, you know, the ball went down to Julius. And the same thing, kind of like with Aaron Gordon. I mean, Aaron Gordon went at uh, Archbishop Mitty and uh, was basically the whole team. I, I saw I saw Aaron Gordon put up like 50 points, and I think his team put up like 60. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just uh, – it is learning how to give up some of that star player role that you're so used to and involve everyone and seeing the benefit of how that can make you a bigger star by doing so. And that's what was so special about the Gilchrist, uh, Anthony Davis – group you know you had uh you had all those guys were kind of wired to see that hey the better that you are the better i am the more opportunity i create for you the more opportunity creates for me and um that's a that's a maturity issue and it's also just an issue of of you've never done that before and so now you've got to put yourself out there and see it well i think uh that group was a special circumstance you had a guy in anthony davis that basically wasn't the player of the year person he was until 12 months prior to his well, pr- probably even the, the summer before senior year. I mean, he just grew and came uh, on the scene, you know, within a matter of 18 months. Then you had another guy, Kid, Gil- uh, Kid Gilchrist, that was a top five player since he was a freshman in his class, but he played for such a great high school program that it was kind of taught you how to play that team game and be unselfish. And then you had uh, the Darius Miller, who was a team player and was a fourth-year player. I mean, it was just a special collection of players where you had they for they hadn't been the man since seventh grade, and or they had been in a program that taught them how to play the team game. So, um, that I, I like the the talent better on this team. Obviously, the um, mindset though has got to come. The mindset was more special so far that year. Um, so there's a little bit more to overcome, um, with the exception of Anthony, uh, Anthony Davis. There's there's no talent like Anthony Davis on this team as far as everything he could do on the court. And that's actually that's it's kind of funny that you brought that up because I kind of posed the question to my cousin on Facebook 
um, you know, who would you rather have, John Wall, Anthony Davis, or Julius Randle? And it all depends on, uh, it's kind of funny how all three of those guys have all come to the program kind of when the program needed them. Mm -hmm. So, like, when Wall came, we needed John Wall probably more than we needed an Anthony Davis or Julius Randle. We needed that dynamic personality, that showman, all that kind of stuff, and with the, just the electric play that he brought to the floor. Anthony Davis was what we needed in that 2012 team, that dominant superstar on the defensive end and that unselfishness. And I think Julius Randle is what this team needs. The guy, this team needs a guy that can put the team on his shoulders and and carry them if they have to. And otherwise, I don't know who it would be. And all three have a very unique talent base, and they're very special. And uh, you know, we just got to enjoy them while they're here. And Anthony uh, Davis was an offensive threat too. He could knock down that 15. He could. But it was he, he hit free throws very. It didn't look like he. It did. It wasn't like he. He burdened the offensive load. No, no. He was never going to be the guy who carried. I mean, he was going to lock. The guy it down won the. Mo- I, I believe he won the most outstanding player of the final four. It was either him or Lamb. It was him, and that's what scoring like five points in the championship. He had zero points at halftime. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was. But he incredible. had blocks and he had rebounds and just controlled. He really changed the game. He altered the game in such an incredible way. All right, well, let's get into. We got a really exciting week. So our weekend, actually. I mean, one thing that's not really been getting a lot of attention, but it's a huge thing. Tomorrow night, in in Lexington, you have the number seven Kentucky Wildcats women's basketball team versus the number three Louisville Cardinals women's basketball team. Wow. So it's not just the top ten matchup in the men's game. You got the top ten matchup in the women's game. And for people who don't follow the uh, the UK women's team or the Louisville women's team, they are a ton of fun to watch. And uh, so much so that uh, Matthew Mitchell's team is putting up some major points in Lexington. I mean, they are uh, – let me pull it up here. I think they've been over 100 – they have been over 100 already three times with going 117 last game against Bradley. Um, they scored 117, 116, 103, 96 twice. The lowest point total they put up there is 75. So they are putting up some some absolute just monster numbers. But Louisville, of course, coming off the national championship game appearance last year, um, it's going to be awesome. They're going to play that game in Memorial Coliseum. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. I, w- I was there last year when Kentucky's women played Tennessee in there, and it was packed and loud. And it's just such a really cool atmosphere. And those girls defend and get up and down the floor. I mean, it is it is a lot of fun to watch. So uh, good luck to uh, both teams tomorrow. Obviously, I'm a little biased, and I kind of hope Kentucky wins. I know you do too. But uh, it's good for... Uh, a guy who has a daughter who loves to play basketball, to have both these teams to go up and, and look look up to and, and know that the girls' game can be an exciting thing too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that um, we have been to, we went to the UKUFL game last year in the Yum Center, and it was a great crowd there, and Kentucky wins on a last-second shot. And it's just the, the men's programs are great, the women's programs are great, and you just hopefully get out there and support them and uh, – Get a chance where to are watch you, them What's that? Where are you, IU? IU? Yeah, where, where are you at? What do you mean? Oh, IU girls program. Well, they need to bring it. That's right. They just need to get to a Final Four. Well, same with uh, their men's. I mean, they were they were a top three team last year, and they... They kind of faltered. They uh, 
raising banners for Sweet 16. <laughs> oh, man. So. Celebrating conference championships after a loss, right? That's right. <laughs> Cutting down the nets. That's right. So I hope the truth heard that because he hadn't called in yet today. So you can, you can call in and uh, that was give for us, the truth. That was, that was for the truth. Although we love you, truth. That's right. Uh, so, and then we got the football games today. And, you know, we have talked ad nauseum about Ohio State and whether or not they belong. And we're going to find out today because Ohio State takes care of business against Michigan. And if Auburn's able to take out Alabama, you're going to have a very interesting thing where you're going to have a one-loss Auburn team or a one-loss. Even well, if Auburn takes out Alabama and it, and then go on and win that CC championship, they're in the BCS game. Over an undefeated Ohio State team? Yes. I'm telling you right now. Man, I don't know. I, I hope so. And I'll tell you what, it nothing would probably make me happier <laughs> than to see if Ohio anything, State. If anything, they might knock out Florida State. If I mean, Ohio State's got to worry about Florida State. But if, if Auburn beats Alabama and wins the championship game, they're in the, they're in the game. They're in the BCS title game. And what about a scenario where Florida – could Florida somehow pull it together sure. and knock off Florida State? I don't think they will, but they could. I mean, it's just at that same point, if, you, if they're able to – to, they don't have anything to lose. I mean, and, in, and they've already hit their low point. It can't get any lower than last week. No. So, um, you know, I guess, let's see. Well, they don't even have a bowl game on the line. This is their bowl game. This is it. I mean, so, they're 4-7. and seven, So, they're not so going anywhere. They can just let it all hang out. They can go. They can, you know, that no respect. They can play the no respect card, the underdog card, the uh, embattled coach card. Um, I don't think they'll do it. But nothing to lose. I don't think, you know, Florida State's a great team now. You know, they still got the legal issues with um, what James Winston. With Winston, which you don't know how much that's going to affect them. Um, but uh, Ohio State, I think, has got to worry about Florida State. And I just can't see where Auburn doesn't leapfrog Ohio State um, if they beat Alabama and win the SEC championship. Am I seeing this right? It's a 28-and-a-half-point line. For who? On the Florida State-Florida game? I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, that seems pretty high to me. I mean, um, I, but it I, could be. I mean, who did they lose to last week? Coppin State or? Oh, Georgia, uh, Georgia Southern? Georgia Southern, who didn't have one passing yard. Right. And ran all over Florida. Uh, maybe it is right, because Florida State is. Georgia Southern. Yeah, Florida, who's supposed to be this defensive-minded football team, and Georgia Southern came in there and said, hey, we're not going to even – we're only going to try to pass the ball three times, and we can't do it. You can put 11 guys in the box, and we're daring you to stop us on the run, and Florida still couldn't stop them. Yeah. 460-something rushing yards later or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It makes you wonder if they quit on their coach or, you know, it just – and then he's that, in the total vote. He's in the total vote that he's coming. You know, because that's obviously a like if if a team like that runs all over you and doesn't is doesn't pass and they still you don't you can't stop the running game. That's just a lack of effort. So while you're freezing your tail off today at Commonwealth Stadium, and I'm going to be sitting at home, which with could my be similar to what happened in the Sugar Bowl last year, but belly full of turkey, I'm going to be enjoying some just outstanding football games. Good for you. Texas A&M, Missouri. The true fans will be at Commonwealth. That's okay. I, listen, you can you can pile it on me all you want. Yeah. I will be warm. In fact, and your daughter will be there, and she's more of a true fan than you are. <laughs> My daughter has decided not to go, but she oh. it was tough. 
I'll be sipping on some hot did, cocoa. Oh, so you gave her the guilt trip about it? I, had I did not. I, I was glad. I wanted her to go. I, I love that. Who she gave her the guilt there. trip? Nobody gave her guilt trip. Oh, she okay. just decided that she I thought didn't it really might go. have been mom. Nope. No, no, mom. Hey, get her out of the house. Let's go. You know? Yeah. But uh, Missouri, Texas AM is shaping up to be what could be just an incredible ball game. Missouri wins the SEC title game. Do they jump Ohio State? It no. Was, no? Mm-hmm. So, number five, Missouri, who is. Got the same record as Auburn. Mm-hmm. If Auburn can't beat Alabama, but Missouri can, mm-hmm. or Auburn does beat Alabama, but then Missouri beats Auburn. Oh, you mean if Missouri wins a well, If Missouri wins out, are they going to jump over Ohio State and go to the title game? It's a good question. I, I think uh, it's a good chance. And then you have the other other side. The, the, the problem, is the, the, the advantage that Auburn would have is that they – to me, their computer numbers would look superior to Missouri's because they beat Alabama versus Missouri beating AM. Alabama's ranked higher, has no losses. AM has at least two losses. So, without, what, if, what if Missouri knocks off Alabama in the title game? Well, then they, they it's very close, and I think they might. I mean, it'd be very interesting to see what happens there. And, you know, the unfortunate side really is that Florida State doesn't have to play Clemson in the ACC championship game. You're not going to get the two best ACC teams. You're going to get Florida State versus a Duke. Mm-hmm. And so whatever happens with Jameis Winston, which is really going to be the bigger story, because if James, something comes up with Jameis Winston in the next 10 days, like it looks like it could, and they lose him, they're still going to be talented enough to probably win out. And so the decision is going to have to be made. It's like, okay, you've got an undefeated well, Florida, Florida State team. Depends on... Talent, yes, but what what kind of mental uh, stake or or toll does that take on a team? Well, it definitely is going to, but they could also rally. They could. And say, well, let's go win this for our buddy. Or they get pissed off and say, hey, we were more than just Jameis Winston. Let's go out and prove that we're more than Jameis Winston. And, um, you know, it, it's a whole bunch of stuff. It's You don't want to see a team get punished because of one guy mm-hmm. and what happens to one guy, whether it's, you know, legal issues or whether it's health issues mm-hmm. you know same thing if james winston goes out tonight against florida and blows out his knee and he's out you know you know, i don't even think we have the conversation if that's the case by the way I, if if it's an injury to james winston and they went out they hang on to number two if it's a legal issue people start voting him down i, I don't know and then how's he going to get voted for the heisman now if it's not going to be decided before the heisman vote has to go in I don't know when is and what's getting decided and when if he if he's going to play or if he's going to get charged. If he gets charged, he's out. Per those Florida well, here's State the rules, question: right? Will Florida State uphold the rule or will they not? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll have to talk question. about that and finish up on our last segment. We have one more segment to go here on the weekend sports bus. Mike and Jason here in the RE Solutions World Headquarters. We will be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Songs I love myself some Tom Petty. We are here in the uh, last segment of the Weekend Sports Buzz for today and just an action-packed day and week and a lot of things are going to be answered over the next week. It's just such an exciting time to be a sports fan, especially a college sports fan. And, uh, you know, we're just now talking about the ACC matchups, and it looks like Duke beats North Carolina today, and they are going to be in the ACC title game against Florida State. Are we going to see a Louisville-Duke-Russell Athletic Bowl? I mean, you can get so excited about 
Louisville and and playing an ACC team, if it was going to be a, a Miami or a Virginia Tech or a Clemson, Clemson's not going to slip past the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I can't imagine that's going to happen. And then there's still the chance that they play themselves into another BCS game as an at-large. I mean, it's a real possibility that the Duke that Duke is the matchup for Louisville down in Orlando. And well, that's just, again, Louisville's got to get past Cincinnati. Even if they get past Cincinnati, it's not rankings; it's picks. Yeah. So who are you going to pick? You're going to pick a Cincinnati team, or you're going to pick a Louisville team? Sure. When Teddy Bridgewater and all these Florida guys are are on the team, you're going to want to pick the guys that has the team that has all the Florida players, because you, you want to sell tickets. I mean, that's true. So. I don't. It's it, it. You know, I would think the Louisville is almost a is almost a lock for the Russell Athletic Bowl. I mean, and uh, I would say this: they've about, been to every game. If it ends up being Duke in that game, the name recognition isn't great, but Duke's a good team, and uh, you know, I, I think it's actually a, a tough matchup for Louisville because uh, you know it's a team they can beat, but uh, Duke has obviously done well in the ACC. They They've got a great offense. They've got a great offensive mind in, in Cutcliffe. They they destroyed Miami and they beat Virginia Tech. I That's mean, right. they they've won the games to get to where they are at. So they're a legitimate um, opponent in the Russell Athletic Bowl. They're just not they're but, just not the sexy name, especially for loyal fans that have to get so excited that they're going to travel down there and watch a football game. That's going to be played basically at the same time as the UK U of L basketball game. I mean, the UK U of L basketball game will finish up basically as kickoff starts. In the wrestle athletic bowl, yeah, that'll. Uh, if you're a UL fan, that's uh, would would that keep you from traveling? Um, a lot of the UL fans I know probably not, especially since it's in Rupp. But uh, that is a conundrum for them. And um, you know, from where I sit, I would just go ahead and just forget about the basketball game because uh, that's uh, that's a shoe in if you ask me. <laughs> it's all over, huh? We the team that's gonna. No, I'm just kidding. I just. Uh, <laughs> No, but it, it would be a tough, you know, if, if it were my team, it, I'd probably, if it was Kentucky, I'd probably, um, and there weren't any other issues into where, whether I went to the, the bowl game or not, I'd probably go to the bowl game. Uh, if it, uh, you know, if it were at Yum Center and set her up, et cetera, et cetera, and I didn't have tickets. But, uh, you know, if, Duke would be a, a good opponent and a fun game to watch, and I think they'd be just as good as anybody they played this year, if not the best team they played this year. So um, it would be a challenge for U of L to uh, win that game. And so again, it's not the sexy name, the same as a Florida State, a Miami, a Virginia Tech, but uh, a legitimate, legitimate pro, uh, opponent. And I think even more of a legitimate opponent than the Wake Forest team that played in the Orange Bowl. Well, I agree with that. I mean, that's. That was not a very good Wake Forest team, but that's back when the ACC was really struggling. I mean, yeah. they're they're not great this year, but they still got some teams that can you know that can challenge, and they still got. I some mean, Clemson is a star. Clemson is a really it's a one loss team. team. They just yeah. lost Florida State and Florida State's Miami. Well, Clemson's lost twice. Then it was no, they beat Georgia. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Miami. They've lost three in the league, but that they've had some injuries. They they had their best running back get get hurt. So, um. There's a lot of parity. I think I think the ACC's. If you look at some of the recruiting, some of these ACC teams are doing. North Carolina's got a top twenty recruiting class, and North Carolina's close to five hundred this year. Well, doesn't Virginia, who's zero and seven in the conference, have two of the top players in college high school football? I don't know. They might. might. So, 
I mean, NC the, State, they've got a top 30 class in football, and they're bottom of the league. Yeah. So, um, you know, Louisville's going to have uh, a, a much better league that they're going to have to compete in. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think uh, this is definitely a step up. It's, it's a good move for Louisville across the board. The ACC, it's going to be so much better. And the college basketball coming to town is going to be just incredible to have Duke and Carolina and all those teams come here. Uh, you, I'm, I'm excited about that for, as a college basketball fan to have this really be uh, – well, it will be kind of fun to see uh, Tobacco Road have to come here and see what we're all about as far as basketball fans too because I feel like the Kentucky-Indiana-Louisville stretch – competes very well with tobacco road i mean i think mm-hmm. you know our fans are crazier we got more passion a better knowledge and uh we got more championships mm-hmm. so uh they'll it'll be good to have a basket the two basketball areas kind of joined together and um so kentucky then we got kentucky providence on on sunday get tipping off tomorrow in the barclay center what are you hoping to see out of Kentucky now that they start playing this big chunk of their schedule, of their non-conference schedule? Well, first of all, I don't know a thing about Providence. I know they've, they had a good recruiting class this year. They've got some good guards. Um, and I think uh, they've definitely got some talent. And they play in the Big East, which is a good conference. So I have no idea what to expect from them. But I'm just looking for continued improvement. Um as far as, I guess, decisiveness in the way they play. I think you, uh, two games ago against uh, Cleveland State, when Andrew Harrison in the last 10 minutes of the game really started playing more decisively when taking it to the basket and throwing up the lobs and making the right decisions. Um, last game, I think you still saw some improvement from him. Um, same thing with Aaron Harrison. W- really want to see James Young uh, start to shoot the ball more consistently and um, – maybe let the game come to him a little bit more than he has. Um, sometimes he'll get up in the air uh, and end up throwing a, throwing it away because uh, a teammate didn't do what he thought he was going to do or he just gets caught in the air. And yeah. so looking for more consistency out of him. Uh, and then I, I want to see Alex Poitras continue to get more consistent. I think he had, he started off the season well, had a few games where he – didn't do as well, and then I thought he played a good game against Eastern Michigan. So, um, well, I, I want to see what he want to continue to see him uh, grow into his role and get more consistent. But I guess having said all that, consistency and and more in the decision making uh, for most of the players. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. And you're going to have um, you're, you got a team in Providence that's not a world beater team. Mm-hmm. But they're a good team. They've beaten Boston College. They've beaten Vanderbilt. They lost a close game to Maryland. That's their only loss. And you're going to have a team that's going to be that's going to be athletic mm-hmm. and motivated uh, to motivated play to Kentucky. play for sure because they're playing the Barclays Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and where their Super Bowl, Super Bowl according to Cal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it should be a province team that's kind of struggling to find their identity, mm-hmm. and they've had some ups and downs. It doesn't. Their, their star guard, Chris Dunn, did not play last game against Fairfield. I don't know if he got hurt or what, but he's definitely important to, an important player for them and was a highly touted guard coming out of high school a couple years ago. And 
uh, it's just going to be interesting to me just to see if Kentucky rises up to the stage that they're getting ready to play on. And, well, you know, you're not playing a great team, but you're playing in a great venue and as far as the Barclays mm-hmm. Center goes. And you're playing a Baylor team that's definitely a top 25 caliber team on the, you know, following the Providence game. And you're playing in the same spot where the Final Four is going to be held. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're starting to. You're the thing starting I like about the stage. Baylor game is those guys are athletic and long. Yeah, which is good. Good, a good opponent for Kentucky to face. Yeah, I mean you got a guy like Isaiah Austin out there who's you know, uh, a legitimate seven foot and I mean and athletic like Willie Cauley Stein is, and it it could be a, a really tough matchup playing at ten o'clock at night. You know, in, down in Dallas, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know. Besides what I mentioned, consistency. I want to see the team come out with intensity from the tip. We haven't seen that yet this year. No, I, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, they have not come out and just uh, taken a game and just gone forty minutes, and uh, and that's got to happen eventually. And I think they could probably, um, you know, Baylor's a team they could definitely lose to. Oh yeah, yeah. So they could lose a Providence. Um, it's not. It's definitely not out of the question. I'd be a little more surprised if they lost to Providence. I would too, but I'm just saying. It's but not Baylor, good. like I, you know, as far as like, I expect Baylor to be a pretty close game. I will uh, say this: I don't think this year we will be seeing, um, Jared Paulson save us in the Brooklyn. <laughs> no. In in the uh, Brooklyn Center, yeah. the Barclays Center. You know, if if we lose a game, it's not. We're not if we're losing late. We're not going to see Jared Paulson come in and lead us to the victory. So, <laughs> well, that, we we do thank him for that last year. That's for sure. You know, this is a this is a Baylor team that just the other day took Syracuse uh, and lost by seven. Uh, just they're they're a talented, talented group, and uh, it should, well, plus they beat a very very good Dayton team. Yes, in Maui and uh, Dayton. Dayton's, I and, watched them. I uh, I think they're an NCAA tournament team and an up and coming South Carolina team. I mean, I, South Carolina is definitely moving in the right direction. Are they a tournament Frank team? Martin, and they're, I think they're a French tournament team as hmm. far as SC goes. You know, the SEC, and, and I mentioned this, and I don't know if anybody read my blog post, but LSU plays Memphis yesterday and gives LSU, gives Memphis, you know, probably should have beat Memphis. They were up 15 at one point, weren't they? And this LSU team. They lost, though. They lost. But when you think about. How good they are at the, their five starting positions. Their starting five has the potential of being a top twenty-five team, mm-hmm. and I and I think they could be there. And AJ Hickey being a junior guard who's defensive-minded and a, a true point guard, uh, and having they get they got great front court players uh, with Drell Martin and Johnny O'Brien, who both were McDonald's All Americans, and Carvyar Shepard, who I'm not Carvyar Shepard, I'm sorry, um, Jordan Mickey, who was Carvyar Shepard's high school teammate. Jordan Mickey, who's a great athletic shot blocker, long wing. I mean, this is a team that uh, their starting five is as good as anyone in the SEC minus Kentucky. Mm. Across the board, Florida's got holes. They might, but uh, right now they don't. Tennessee's Florida's, got great talent and a great starting five. Um, I would still say like one through five. I'd put LSU up there, and I'm not saying that Tennessee doesn't have some guys that are better players at some positions. I'm just saying, don't sleep on this LSU team. Doesn't well, I agree with you. I think they're very Jeff talented. Jones is going to have them going. I just uh, don't agree with that statement. But we'll I see. would not be surprised. Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, 
uh, LSU, uh, Missouri, possibly Texas A&M, possibly South Carolina. I could see five, six tournaments. A&M, I don't know anybody on their basketball team. Are they supposed to be good this year? They, uh, they're they're coming back. They're getting better. <laughs> so, so we'll set to see. Billy Clyde never should have left. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, Although he that probably... that brought us to. Uh, got us the cow. cow. It got us. Very the cow. funny how some some of the darkest times in Kentucky basketball have led us to, you know, some of the better coaches we've had. Well, I always like to talk about the cycle. I think the cycle is really interesting. You know, you go from Rupp, who obviously, you know, as far as Kentucky fans is the ultimate, mm-hmm. and then you go from Rupp to a guy like Joby Hall, who was a very good coach and very much underappreciated, who still brought Kentucky a title. And now it's beloved, I mean, by Kentucky fans, even though at the time he, it was a little more turmoil. Mm-hmm. And then they follow up. They, you know, it, it wasn't the same as Rub, so they had to make a change. And they go to an Eddie Sutton. And Eddie Sutton, you know, comes in and has a short stint, and they get in trouble, and that's when they have Kentucky shame and all that stuff. And then you got Patino, who mirrors Rupp, mm-hmm. coming in and saves the program and brings us back to Camelot and all those fun terms that he used. And then... You, Patino leaves, and we get Tubby. And Tubby, the parallels between Tubby and Joby Hall are, like, scary. Mm-hmm. You know? They're both beloved now. But at the time, everyone wanted to complain about us having a very good basketball team, but not the elite great basketball team. And they both brought us titles as well. And then Gillespie and how Gillespie mirrors Eddie Sutton. Yeah, that is amazing. Ways. And then you come back, and you got the recycle with them say, okay, now you need to have the savior. Yeah. So you got the Rupp Patino Cal. So we're destined to have whoever the next uh, so we're, Joby we're, Hall is. We're next Joby Tubby in the cycle. Yeah, that's right. So the the, the next coach. Well, to is me, be- hopefully UK learns from that, but, and that just shows you you've got to have if you want for for the UK basketball program to be successful and the, the fans to be happy, you got to have that A type personality, aggressive. That's, you know that that's what you got to do to succeed at Kentucky. Yep, we are uh, hitting the end of our show. It's been a great, great two hours talking a little sports. Enjoy your amazing sports weekend. Have a great holiday, and we will see you next time on the weekend sports buzz.